Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula Show, starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Yeah. Okay, I'm clapping myself. Sleepy audience here today. All right. They'll jump in. They'll catch on by the end of the show. Tell your friends we are live today. We don't know what Dr. Price is going to say. She always says, you know what, I just yield myself to the Lord. And we love it when she really says she has nothing. I have nothing to say. Jesus, it's on you. And we're like, oh, hold on, because it's going to be good. So tell your friends the Jesus and Paula show is on. Now, why do we do a show like this? Why does Dr. Price teach the sermons, the messages? Because we, I mean, she teaches. We can't even say she preach is. She teach is us. She schools us. We go to school every Sunday. And at the end of service, she said, you know what? Our services are longer, and we don't apologize for that because I tell you what, we're in church one day a week, and really we're in church for a piece of a day of the week. And of the whole time we're in the church, we're sitting under a message for a smaller fraction of that. We really have been groomed to believe that we need to hit it and quit it when it comes to Sundays. Now, you put in a full eight hours for your job that gives you nothing but a paycheck, maybe, and usually not enough of what you need. You'll put in a full day dealing with family and messing around with people who get on your last nerve. I mean, the last one. They find it, and they get on it, and then they dance on it all day long. And you go in counting down when you can leave and when you can get out, don't you? But when it comes to the house of the Lord, it's how long is your service, and how long do we have to be there, and when can we get out? Largely because, unfortunately, many of these churches aren't saying much. I mean, you can get have a whole message sermon in like 30, 40 minutes, which is less than your lunch break on your job, depending on what kind of job you have, and think that's supposed to sustain you in defending yourself against the wiles of the enemy. But our, our message in general in the church at large has not been about defending ourselves and neutralizing the fiery darts of the enemy. It's been about what? family and outreach and missions and making making sure people don't feel bad because they're sinners and, and everything else that disarms them and leaves us completely vulnerable to what the enemy is doing. And so in our church, we are going through our dunamite training. Oh, my goodness. We, we should have known. When we started with Scripturally Organic and Culturally Unmodified four or five years ago, we were going to be in for a ride. What is scripturally organic, culturally unmodified, breaking that down to where we are today? And we, we've gone through pedigree. What is your pedigree? Who are you in Jesus Christ? Or are you in Jesus Christ? Are you in Jesus Christ? And then who else's seed is in you that's bearing fruit? I think that is such a powerful thing. On Sunday, uh, toward the end of the message, Dr. Price said that Jesus is the seeder, S-E-E-D-E-R. The Holy Ghost is the breeder. And that one of the things she said is the enemy is constantly breeding what you should not have said. 
<laughs> it's kind of like when uh, when you move into, a, let's just say, on a new piece of property. Oklahoma has a lot of property going on. And uh, you move somewhere and somebody else was there. And when it's time for the harvest or springtime, it rains, all these things start popping up out of the ground that you did not put there. So before you can put in fresh grass, new seed, new whatever, you often need to tear out the old. Sometimes you literally have to turn the whole thing over and start over. It's costly, it's expensive, it is not cheap, and it is not free to do that, but it is necessary. And you can mess around and try and avoid it and plant here and plant there to get what you want, bypassing the product, uh, the process of excavating the old. But if you don't excavate the old, it's always going to creep up somewhere and choke out the new or interweave itself with it. So you think that you're having this, and then you go out in your yard, and there's these weeds and uh, different uh, things, maybe poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, something else like that. Uh, that you're like, where is this coming from? I didn't plant it. When you go back and study the seed and the sower and, and what happened, he's talking about, but the enemy came in and sowed something here. And so the enemy has sown seeds. Sometimes it was our idea. Especially in our rebellion, bless God. Those rebellious seeds, my, 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 nobody can tell me that I. And who are you to? And you can't be religious because of. And I'm free in Jesus. And so you're so free in Jesus, you can go back to the bondage in which he has delivered you from. You're so free, you can still be addicted to alcohol. You're so free, you can still date around and whore around. You're so free, so free in Jesus that you haven't left your sin. And so in this journey, when she made that statement, I thought, ooh, that's something to think about. What are some of the seeds or things that we should not have said, even in our heart, because the word talks about the meditations of your heart, the thoughts and intents of your heart. Those are, that's what's being judged. And so whenever you think about that in yourself, that can probably answer a lot of questions about why you may still be dealing with certain things today in, as far as today in your life and where you are. Because the enemy is constantly breeding what you should not have said. I want you to take an inventory, not, not today, and don't raise your hand and don't confess it on Facebook, okay? <laughs> Unless you just want your business out there. All right? Don't do that. Don't put it out there. But think about what you should not have said, whether out loud, in confidence to your friends, fussing and fuming in your house by yourself, in your shower, in your car, things that you should not have said that the enemy is still breathing. That will explain a lot about a lot, and probably you'll be in fewer prayer lines and your own prayer closet dealing with what God is saying. Because you, we want people to just lay hands on us and deal with it. Just lay hands on me. Just lay hands on me. Just lay hands on me. And it, sometimes it's like, mm, you need to get in the repentance corner. There's a witness in the room. There's one, there's, there's one honest soul. A repentance corner where you just have to go with you and the Lord. And truly repent, not say you're sorry, because a lot of times we say we're sorry because we don't want consequences. We don't want consequences for what we've done. So your motivation cannot be, I'm tired of getting in trouble for what has been said or what I've done in my life. 
Because if your motivation is, I don't want to get in trouble, then you're really not penitent. You're not changed. You have not turned and done a 180 from who you were or what you did. You're just trying to avoid consequences, which is not the same as turning from your wicked ways. It's not the same. Because how about this? When your motivation is to not get in trouble by somebody, when that somebody isn't around, you're going to be the real you, which is troublesome. You're a troublemaker. <laughs> or you're going to be that, which is why when they walk back in the room or come around the corner, you're almost jumping out of your skin. Huh? I didn't want you to see me like that. I didn't want you to hear me like that because I was putting on a show as to what I thought you wanted me to be, not actually becoming who I need to be. Old man, new man. Ooh, and when she talked about, don't we can't say anymore that we're a new creation. We have to say we are a new creature because creation is waiting for a creature to show up and handle business. I thought, somebody hit the repeat button in church right now. On that powerful statement, we have brought our Christianity down to the simplest common denominator, which is making us happy. Jesus just wants us to be happy. He wants us to be content. He doesn't want anything to rock the boat. He doesn't want you to be in trial and warfare. Now, when you actually read your word, you see so many things to the contrary. Last night with the youth, we went through the temptation of Christ. Dr. Price referenced it in church on Sunday, wanted to make sure our young people knew what that was all about. And it starts with, and he was led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the end, by Satan. Holy Spirit led him to be tempted by Satan. Who preaches that? You should have seen some of the looks on their faces. Huh? Huh? Yes. Are you telling me that the Lord will lead us into a wilderness? Uh-huh. To work out that flesh. And what did she tie it to in the message? About Jesus' flesh having to die and be tested and proven <clears throat> so he could enter into his divine calling and assignment. And we think we are above that. And we think now Jesus went through the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no anything, one time, and we feel afflicted if somebody comes after us in the flesh for a season. I don't know, and how come I, and because we have not taught this thing properly. So going back to the enemy is constantly breeding what you, I, we should not have said. I had to take inventory myself, because if you're always thinking the word is for somebody else, like when you hear a message and you're like, ooh, so-and-so needs to hear this, and so-and-so is never you, you're probably in trouble. <laughs> ooh, I need that. Now, sometimes it's like, ooh, she's preaching on breakthrough, and I know that somebody and I were just talking about that. That's one thing. But if in a message you rarely sit down and think, mm, that's me, you're in denial. You are in, okay, what you scripture, you are in delusion, probably a strong one, okay, because for you, strong delusion is in there, all right, not just a watered down, not a diluted delusion, no, a strong delusion, concentrated, that's no matter what people say, you refuse to accept it as the truth, that's when you're walking in a strong delusion, so nobody knows the truth but you and God, nobody, I mean, my God, nobody, Okay, there are some things that people don't get, and you have to be at a particular level, sure. But by and large, guys, we're not that complicated, not that mysterious. Ooh. 
I mean, even Jesus had a whole hundred generations of people prophesying about him coming. <laughs> so when he showed up, it was obvious and clear he was the Messiah. So there's no veil and mystery that nobody gets you but God kind of thing. That You really don't find that in the Word, in your digital, electronic, paper, Bible. We, I'm strong delusion. When you convince yourself that you are a special case in the kingdom, that nobody can crack the coat on. And you just move it from place to place and blaming every leader along the way for being the reason you are not fulfilling purpose and destiny. Now, is there a place where leaders, absolutely, where they're, they're responsible? Sometimes people don't get you. They don't have what it takes to tap into you. But when we start hearing, we've learned over, Dr. Price, we've learned over the years, when we start hearing people out the gate talk about how nobody has understood them in the kingdom. You know what I've concluded? We're going to be next on the list of nobody in the kingdom. It will probably take three or four years, but we will be on that list. As you build a case for blaming the institution and move on to the next unfortunate, unknowing victim in the kingdom. And so there's that strong, I mean, that's a strong delusion for you to move from place to place, coast to coast. Some people have been from nation to nation. You're telling me in all of creation. You are a riddle wrapped up in an enigma in the vault in Switzerland that nobody can crack the co- nobody can crack the code on. Then why did God make you? If nobody can figure you out, what's the point of putting you on the planet? So the highest, strongest prophetic mantles on the planet can't figure you out. I mean, these are that is a strong delusion when you convince yourself that nobody understands you but God, then he would have just left you in the spirit on the Lord's day <laughs> in eternity. He would have just left you there. Why would God drop you in the planet if he gave nobody a page on your book? So he kept the book secret? I know the plans I have for you, you, and eh, I'm still working you out. Uh, you, you, you. Yeah. I may have a future and a hope for you. I'm not sure. I mean, this is really what we're saying about the Lord when we're blaming his people and his institutions for being the reason we keep failing. Strong delusion. I mean, you have got to have told yourself and bought in for a long time that nobody gets me but God. Then why did he put you with humanity? He would have left you, he probably would have made you an angel. Let me just leave you up here. Put you in a different celestial body. At some point, you've got to find the truth. So these are, these are words that we should not be saying that the enemy is constantly reinforcing. Belief systems that are not true. Anything that is not true, he can re- – well, you know, but you know. Now, you know I'm just using Johnny because she's in there. Now, you know Johnny, though. You know how nobody really gets you. Look at her. She just said, nobody gets you dramatic. I love people who play along. <laughs> nobody. And you know this is just like the two places ago you came from. The three places ago, look, he's going to go back five places ago. And the longer you're around, the more you roam. That's, oh, this is just like that church in Timbuktu in 1976 that hurt you the first time. Listen, he's going he's gonna to roll that thing out and play it over and over. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to fulfill purpose and destiny. He does not want you to come into who God made you to be. And if nobody else can take you out, he's going to use you. 
destiny suicide. Everything is a destiny suicide mission. You're going to kamikaze on your own destiny. I'm just going to lay on the sword. I'm going to go up in a blaze of glory. I'm going to take myself out. I'm going to always the hero in your story. Always the, the, the uh, hero victim. The martyr. Thank you. That's the word. The martyr. You are always the martyr in your own script. Well, you know, I mean, I just had to be the I, I would, sacrificial lamb. Okay. I'm just a sacrificial lamb. Well, I'm just going to lay myself down. And, oh, I, I just, and all of a sudden, it's your blood that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. It's your sacrifice that is more potent than the sacrifice of Christ. So all of a sudden, his blood wasn't enough. His ministers aren't enough. Where he's placed you is not enough. And maybe it's actually not enough and you should be, but you have got to look at the pattern in cycles on your life to see what is happening. How long are you somewhere before all of a sudden things just go topsy-turvy? We witnessed this with people who left before. <clears throat> Dr. Price said, I'm concerned. Because they have said that they have not stayed anywhere more than four years. And we're coming up on four years. She said it one day, almost casually, because when you operate and live in your office, what did Dr. Price say on Sunday? She said something on Sunday that most people are not bold to say. Was it Sunday? Hold on. Let me see. <laughs> Where she talked about only a small portion of who she is. Oh, yeah, was it the, I think it was the slide. It was PowerPoint slide. That's what it was. And it was wrong slide or whatever. And she went on to say how only a small portion of her is basically, yeah, human. All right? And, and she is all in. The guy had, now, see, most people are bold enough to say that because you're like, yes. Mm, I don't know. But when you are all in, all in in Jesus, all in, not just saying and not just quoting and not just rattling it off, but all in, you're always tapped into his strength, his communication. And so you're always picking something up and just dropping it out of eternity. And so I've learned over the years and, and still work to discipline my flesh because your flesh always wants to, your mouth wants to say something. It just has, it talks and it just always wants to say something. <laughs> I'm glad we're starting with the youth in the book of James. Stop talking. Okay. Dr. Price has trained us over the years and recently has said, stop talking and just listen. I'm not trying to have a discussion with you. I'm not trying to have a conference with you. I uh, No, stop. And we're in talking mantles. It's compulsive. <laughs> yes, apostle. And you're like, <laughs> and my mother always told me growing up I had last word itis anyway. She said, girl, you got last word itis. I'm telling you, she said, if you say one more word, and I was like, <laughs> even when I walk out of this room, you better not say something to yourself. <laughs> oh, I had the right mother. I had the right mother, all right? And so, just, oh. <laughs> and so when you're constantly in your purpose, in your office, especially if you are an apostle or prophet, in it all the time, God can just seamlessly slide something in your inbox. You've got mail. Ooh, this is the word that God said. Okay. Hey, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she said it ever so casually, it seemed like. And I thought, mental note. And it wasn't six. It wasn't nine months of total manifestation. And it wasn't but a hot minute later the signs of that departure started showing up. Building a case, distancing themselves, doing now very present in the body, 
very absent in the spirit. And you have got to be aware when people's spirits have left you, even though their body is still there. Spirit is gone. We know, we know a year before people leave, they're leaving. And we know a year or more before they come, they're coming. We know when it's time for them to move in, oop, their spirit is here. But see, you have to be in a certain level in God and really believe that is true to know it. So you have people, some people now, and you're, you're in churches right now just going through the motions, thinking you're hiding something from your leaders. Even leaders who are not apostles and prophets, they know they're sheep. I know good pastors talking about, yeah, they're going to go soon. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they don't think we know, but we know. They haven't been happy for a while. They've just been compliant and whatever and doing the routines. And, and, they made, and meanwhile, folks that made plans, signed leases in other states and other cities, told their family they'll be home by Christmas, cue the song, okay, and do a whole of these things. And we just going through the motions here face-to-face, but we know it. This is why you must be in the spirit. When she talked about Jesus is the cedar, the Holy Ghost is the breeder. You must allow Jesus Christ to seed your soul. Seed your spirit because those other seeds jump up. Things that you have said in the past, maybe in the beginning where you're somewhere, maybe you don't understand, going off about your boss, going off about your family, going off about your leaders, whatever, wherever your world is, that will breed and show up and pop up. And it might be two years later, vows, things that you said, hot, fuming, mad. Oh, if I didn't have to be here. And you meant it in that moment. That moment passed. You got prayer. Maybe a little piece of deliverance. Maybe a piece. Maybe partial. And guess what? You come to a window, an opportunity, where it's time for you to move into your purpose and destiny. And those words begin to pop up. And they're like tentacles on your soul. Snatch. And they wrap around you because they are tentacles in your soul. Roots. That's why you have to lay the axe to the roof. And they wrap around you and wrap around you. And so the minute you try and rise, they pull you down. The minute you try and move forward, they snatch you back. It's tied to all this old mess and old junk in your soul. And it's like God pushes a button and all this pus comes out to prove the point. Because we have to operate on facts down here. Now, we're going to move on prophecy and everything. But when you make those final decisions, many times you need evidence, proof, fruit. Okay? You will know them by their fruit, which is why you can try and con yourself. Strong delusion. But the fruit of who you are always tells the truth. I love that. I love the, the, the word thing because we are teaching that. Yeah. You know, people, for example, if you are a person who is beguiling and deceptive and errant verbally, in every other area of your life, you cannot be a true prophet. Oh, that's good. And see, we're wondering, because people ask that question all the time, how can they be a prophet and? True. I mean, I don't understand, but in God's world, they look at the fruit and the fruit of your life. So you could get a true word from God, but because of your distorted, perverted soul Mm -hmm. and divine communication structure and network, you can't ever give God's word the way he gave it. I will, he, you, you can't. Now, God, so God is true, but your word, because you have too many other influencing factors that want the word to give you glory, want the word to 
prove to everyone you're it that wants the word to turn out the way you want and to want to take credit for the word so that you get the applause and, and, and all of that. And people who do that, and there are prophets, you know, who will do it, but you wonder how could they be wrong? You know, and I often deal with that, and then because people are prone to hear your voice, they really don't zero, zero in on your articulation, especially if you become their favorite messenger. They don't zero in on that. And so when we go and we move forward, as we're talking about, you know, miracle workers and the Dunamites, the people that First Corinthians 12, 28, and 29 are talking about who are God's official or in-office miracle workers. The number one thing that you must correct if you're going to do anything for God, you must correct your verbiage. You must correct your language. You must correct your articulation, your impression, because many times you prophesy your impression of the situation that God is speaking to. So God will give you a couple of words, but, and so when, when I first started, um, when God first began to train me as his messenger and uh, to make me the voice of his thoughts, his will, and his emotions, I need you to listen. The first thing he said to me is that you can't scramble my words. I will allow you to decode them, but you cannot scramble my words. Well, when you first trained me as a prophet, which I didn't know I was in training, you would send me to give somebody a prophetic message or tell, tell so-and-so that God said that's a what. And then she would go and ask them what I said to see if I accurately delivered the word. Delivered the word. I just thought I was like, oh, okay. Now, I have prophets because you can tell if you are a trainer of prophets, you will find out who your faithful messengers are by how accurate and precisely they give your word. Many people are paraphrasers, and that paraphrasing is to give um, evidence or to give significance to themselves as the deliverer of that word. And I have sent, because I have messengers that I won't trust no matter what, because they can't ever get my word right. They keep flipping it. I have a couple of y'all write on um, Facebook. I read your Facebook text to see how you do. Y'all don't write it correctly. <laughs> Didn't I say that to you? Yes. Ma'am. I said so and so. This I said this one will always flip what I said. Yes. That means they'll always flip what God said. Because that is that's more than a habit. That's a character imprint. That's an impression on your soul that no matter what your ears hear, you have to edit it and you have to amend it so that you feel solically comfortable living with that word and giving it. Solically comfortable. Yeah, your soul has to feel good about whatever communications comes into it. Now, what good looks like, that's the question. What does good look like? And the first thing you, you should recognize is that most people – Good looks like what feels good to them because they're always looking to be calmed, to be confirmed, to be affirmed, to be soothed, to be contented. That's why they can't give hard words because words that hurt them, they will not give 
to others. Because if they were receiving the word, it would wound them. Now, God says, I wound and make alive. He said, I slaughter you by the words of my prophets. And so when you are delivering, I want you to hear me because, see, you want to know why. I don't understand how these people can be prophets and how God could speak to them or through them, and they live such hellish, heinous lives. Well, the first thing you need to understand is consider the word of God as um, think of a, a glass of milk, all right? And the glass is clean. The milk is fresh. Now take a straw that you dipped in chocolate, put it in that glass of milk, and sip from it. It is no longer pure milk. There was nothing wrong with the glass. There was nothing wrong with the product. But what? The instrument was stained. You like that, don't you? The instrument was stained. And because the instrument was stained, the pure milk, what went into the body, was then mixed. So, and, you know, and I've seen, you know, we've all had it. You've drunk your chocolate milk, and then you just went on and got, okay, I just want to have it plain. But think of it. The sincere milk of the word can be stained by the instrument that is giving it. It's early. <laughs> I, I wanted to ring this bell five statements ago. So self-control. Now, why do I talk like this? Because most times prophetic training, development, and education is all about what you put out there, not the state or the condition or the character that you draw from to verbalize what you say in the word of the Lord. So I practice, like, I won't talk to people. I, like, like she said, I won't tell them. I won't tell you that I listened to your word. I won't tell you that I sent you to give a message, and when I talked to so-and-so, they said it was something else. I won't tell you that, but I know it, because that means that you have to twist everything to your advantage, to your preference, and to your solical comfort. You can't do it. And it's hard. When you first start, and that, uh, trust me, you start trying to do it, it is the hardest thing because you're, you have trained your brain to serve your will. So your brain is going to flip it, which is what the Lord means when he writes in Romans that where our natural mind is at enmity with God because your brain, first of all, is shaped in iniquity. It was conceived in sin. It is in a world that programs it from infancy to death to sin. So for you to flip your brain, the transforming, the renewing of your mind, it takes a cognizance and it takes a consciousness that never stops. But it starts with an integrity. People say to me all the time, and I hear it often, all the time, um, you know, well, that's you. Oh, yeah. that's and you know why they say that? Because everything that they claim is God is them. <clears throat> you only accuse people of what you are <clears throat> or what you are called to judge. <laughs> so they say, that's you. And I say, prove it. 
because I can find almost three to ten scriptures for everything I say. Because I'm going to run you up the front. Just I gave that example of the glass. Yes, I am. And down the back. <laughs> just think. Just think about the example I just gave you about the glass of milk. Have you ever heard of that before? That's how God trains me. So the glass of milk is the sincere milk of the word. That's Bible. And so when they say that's you, <clears throat> the one thing that I have, I cut a covenant with God, and I vowed I would never lie on him. The problem is we don't call a lie a lie. See, we don't, but see, in order for you to get error, there has to exist a lie. In order for you to have flaws, there has to exist a lie. In order for you to have shortcomings, because truth leads the pack. You're just all involved today, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. I'm ready. This, I think this goes back to what you started talking about. A, a prophet, can they produce accurate prophecy? Mm-hmm. Like they're standing up and prophesying. But outside of that, they have other integrity issues or accuracy issues or something like that. Because I think sometimes people are confused, even when you're grooming them uh, to be a certain officer, type mm-hmm. of officer, according to what God has said. And when they stand up and do the job, it's like boom, 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 boom. But behind the scenes, it's something else. It has to do with the character and the context, as well as the content of their prophet's spirit. See, pedigree. I have a whole thing that I talk about. Your prophetic pedigree is in one of those um, one of those earlier broadcasts. But it has to do with your prophet's spirit and who opened it. That's number one. And then number two, what happened once your prophet's spirit was opened and enlivened? Mm-hmm. See, we use the word activate so much, we don't understand that before we can activate, we need to enliven it. Kind of like I need to plug that in before I turn that on. Because I can, I can turn it on all day long, but unless it's enlivened. So it has to do with that. Now, those are some of the um, in, initial thoughts. But the one thing you must remember is that people can be good at their job and lousy at life. And the world has trained you to not expect one from the other. So you're trained to know that somebody is sick, crazy, vile, etc. But their talent, their gift, their ability are still quality according to the standard and the model. Because, see, God can speak through a donkey. He did speak through a she-ass. I'm sure the she-ass wasn't sanctified. I'm sure that the she-ass had not stopped fornicating and carrying on. See, when we, so when you put it in, see, I helped you again, because when you put it in that context, voicing God is not representing God. It's just audiating God. This is why our program is longer than three weeks, three months. This is why our program averages about three years, because any real professional is going to be in school at least six years. If you're going to be a master, you're going to be in school longer than that. But because Satan has done a great job diminishing God Almighty in anything pertaining to him, especially the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then people feel like if it's from God, it requires nothing. They either go to this magical mindset, well, if it's God, then it's perfect. No, God is perfect. Earth is not. And the minute a word leaves God's realm and enters our realm, it is subject to the laws of the planet. And it's susceptible to the laws and the will of those that God chooses, which is why he puts so much effort in what you see as a prophet. I mean, think about Elisha. Twenty years he served a righteous and godly man, a man who did it so right that God couldn't let him die. He couldn't let the earth have him back. He did it that well. See, the earth couldn't have him back. Many people don't realize that the earth did not get Jesus back. It got Moses back because of the waters of Meribah. But the earth... Did you inhale? Exhale. Okay. <laughs> See, when you the earth couldn't have Enoch back. So there are those that God refuses to return to the dust, to the earth, because that's a curse. Right? And because if the God allows your body to return to the dust, then it becomes part of the ecology of the future generations. So why do I talk to people like that? Because it's time for us to level up. We can't answer quality questions. We cannot deliberate on prudent issues. We can't, we, we can't do anything because we still add, you know, the A is for what? A is for apple. We are still the ABC Darians of the kingdom. You know that. So I talk to you like that because there are people who are tired of being in kindergarten. There are people who are sick of elementary school. There are people who are tired of third grade. There are people who say, I go to college and get more. I can go to the movies and get more information. I can go to the, to the arcade and amusement thing and get more intelligent, prudent, and useful information. But I come to church and I got to get into my dumb down wear. You get out the car, putting on your dunce hat. I'm telling you. And so when you when I talk to you like that, because God is changing the past, he's advancing the present. The future is intelligence, and intelligence did not begin with Satan. And yet we, the church, the church allowed him to dumb down the Almighty's house, the Almighty's fruit, the Almighty's product, and then make people arrogantly, pridefully glad about it. That's why I talk. Jesus, Jesus was in a tomb. He was not buried in the ground. And he was not buried in the ground because he was going to reuse that body. Because while he was getting a new soul in hell, his body was being totally renovated to be the God-man. So he couldn't have been buried in the ground. Somebody's going to hear me. <laughs> he could not have been buried in the ground because the ground would have rotted him. And it would have broken him down. And, and death, when he said death could not hold, death would have been able to use that flesh to reproduce and generate with the elements of his body in it. So his blood hit the ground, but his body never did. 
So let's get back to Elijah and Elisha. You ready? He served this man for 20 years, and he was with him, and he was learning from him in every class, in every session. He inherits Elisha's mantle with the promise of double of everything that Elijah did. But he did something that Elijah didn't do. His first inaugural um, act was to kill 42 children because they called him Ballhead. Now, if you got a mantle like that, you can grow some hair on your head. <laughs> okay? You could just say, hair, hair grow. <laughs> you got that kind of mantle? You got two times Elisha? You got two times Elijah, and you're going to kill children, 42 lives, 42 families, 42 destinies, and you slew them, you summon a bear to kill them. Went on to do some great works. He, God is faithful. If God says, I'm going to give you something, you can be in prison, you can be on life support. God's going to give you that before you leave the planet. That's how he is. So God honored the covenant that Elijah made because Elijah had hit such a pinnacle in God that he and God refuses one. Now, you don't hear people talk about Elijah as a prophet. And if they do, they talk about all of the slaughtering things because the the the, the I want to say compilers of scripture were very careful not to let us know too much about Elijah. Right. We don't even know where Tish is. Come on. We don't know. Where's Tish? Who, who, who knows? And so, but, but I want you to remember something to show you how we don't know our God. Elisha, because of the way he inaugurated his authorship, he ends up being the only prophet that Scripture takes pains to let us know he died of a sickness and a disease because he had to pay for those 42 lives. And he was protected by his double portion from Elisha. I mean, Elijah. So that protected him all his lifetime. So when God emptied that out, see, a lot of times you don't realize when God empties out what he means, Come on. Then he then releases what, releases what Satan breathes and what sin breathes. That's why people can look so powerful and they're great, 30 years, 20 years in ministry, and then they go out begging for blood, needing transfusions. They go out on life support. Because how people go out of here gives you a great idea about how they live. <laughs> because if you're a trophy, God doesn't allow his trophies to be tarnished. Why don't you take one? Put a find some commercial paper for people. People need to breathe. <laughs> they need to breathe. Social media, do you all need a commercial break? I bet you do. <clears throat> they need to breathe. So so you look at how people go, that's that's a prayerful person, a devout life, a holy life. That says a lot. And the more violent thing you go, the more God is dealing with <clears throat> and not letting you take what you did to the other side. He's dealing with it on this side. So let the earth have it. So I want you to hear this. So now 
Here's the part that we miss. The only reason that Moses saw death was because of Meribah. But God didn't send him to hell. I want you to hear me. He didn't send him to hell. Instead, he sent Michael to keep him from hell. Moses and Elijah are the two that never saw death. Now, I want you to go with me. Are you rolling it with me? Come on, bring your brain in mind. All right. Try hard. Come on, try real hard. You there? Okay. We teach that God doesn't kill. We teach that God only does good, according to our standards. We teach that God is so forgiving, he lets you run all over him. But yet the two men that he said wouldn't see death slaughtered more humans than you can dream. And God rewarded them with the rapture. Y'all didn't catch that. So I told you, Jesus said, be wise as serpent, harmless as dove. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm getting some more water. You do anything to get a breath, but breathe it, huh? Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because what they did for God was they stood back and fended off his enemies. Now, this is important. I need you to hear me. We have police officers who are afraid to do their jobs if they're Christian. They are like, oh, my gosh, I mean, because God, no, Jesus said by a sword. That means he said by a sword, which means they were going to sword fight. Now, this is New Testament. And so we use where uh, uh, James and John, that's the only thing. You ever notice that we build a big thing on one scripture? <laughs> you know, the church can't use all the, because uh, if they read the other scriptures, then we cancel out the big thing. We're going to get to the tongue in a minute, but I need you to hear me. You have got to recognize that God has an enemy. His enemy hates him. His enemy as she pointed out, wheat and tares. His enemy bred themselves, bred himself in the highest of his creation. So we'd always have mixed breed, mixed bag, mixed breed humans. Humans that would fight against their maker and destroy the light and the weak and the righteousness and the truth. But the people that didn't see death took out God's enemies all the time. We have this whole religious thing about either serving God or country. God is country. Okay? God is country. God is state. God is government because nothing material, nothing physical can exist unless it has spiritual backing and authorization as well as performance. Now, when you think about Elijah, because God said to me, he said, but you do realize that Elijah did a, a whole a whole lot of things. That's one of the reasons why I'm teaching the Dunamite class, because Elijah worked God's creation, and he wielded the Almighty's power in his office. 
Moses created office and then brought government to earth. So the whole Dunamite class that I'm teaching, the, the entire purpose is that we understand that what God confined to select individuals, he then globalized in Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost. So Israel was secluded, but the Holy Ghost is globalized. So it's there for whosoever will. And God is calling different people to come out of the mortal strongholds of sin and step into that realm of not only the immortals, but the supermortals. In other words, the super, supernal ones. We are there. Where we sit in heavenly places, how are you going to sit in heavenly places and hell still controlling you? Hell's not in heaven. Hell is on earth. Heaven is heaven. But it starts with your mindset, and it moves to your mouth. If you are a cussing saint, trust me. Trust me, you're going to have blessing and cursing. And James said the two can't come out of the same fountain, which means you have a dual stream inside. And you never know what stream is talking. I call it solar, soul bipolar. Your soul is split. We never know what pole is talking through your soul. Because you have because if you're because you have both inside. You because your the you choose, your will determines which one predominates. So when you think about people you know what people say is mixed mind, I change my mind, or certain Issues and certain incidents and events will force you, cause you to choose or to lean to one or the other. For example, you can be sweet, sweet, sweet until you hear a certain sound, until you hear certain music, until you smell a certain fragrance, and all of a sudden that, that other side, that split side that you have pretty much quarantined has broken out. It has to run your life beginning with running your mouth. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. You could could say all day long, that's not what I mean. Jesus said what you give voice to is what you actually believe. Your verbiage is your verb, which means your movement, your action. So people say that, but I I didn't mean to say, yeah, you did. You just didn't mean for it to be caught. You didn't mean for people to hear it. You didn't mean for it to cost you, but you meant for it to get out. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And people who talk a lot, what did Jesus say? You know, with much saying, you think you're persuading people, but you're actually releasing the deception and the, and the delusion that will seduce people because it seduced you. What you believe, you will say. You will talk what you believe, and you can't help it. The problem is you don't think other people discern it. So you don't think that I discern that you have the same conversation all the time. You never change. You never change because you're not delivered. 
you need to be delivered of that thing. You're not delivered. Is this speaking to you? You sit down, we have the same conversation, the same cyclical conversation. The Bible calls that a stronghold that is held by a strong man. You have the same conversation. People don't like me. What did she say? I loved how she brought that. People don't like me. People don't understand me. I'm just too deep. I'm too different. And I don't get a chance. Nowhere. My personal favorite, no matter, no matter where I go, this keeps happening. So do you know why it keeps happening? Because you are it. You go. So it's, it's in you. You know, it's not even trailing you. It's not in the caboose, baby. It's in the conductor seat. Here we go. And you, you turn every conversation into that agony that you cannot offload. You can't leave it. No matter where you go, you, you plant it, you sow it, you water it, and you leave it to grow. So who's the seed bearer? Your words are the silo because the scripture likens words to what? Seeds. And seeds to spirits. So you keep sowing it, and then you're upset because you keep growing it. You're growing it. You're growing in everybody. You're it. But you don't want to admit that because to admit that, see, here's where you get stuck. This is what blocks deliverance. Did y'all need a commercial break or something? Oh, now they don't want one. (laughs) Here's why you can't get delivered. Because the remorse and the regret of all of the things that you caused in your life, opportunities that you shipwrecked, relationships you sabotaged, you know, you can't face that. That Deliverance means facing yourself. Uh, you know, the Bible says deliverance requires acknowledgement. And so you can't get acknowledgement without awareness. But if you're going to be powerful, then you have to go that painful route. And you don't want to think about the, what you did when you, this same you, how you kept this repetitious cycle going all your life so that you don't have friends that you could have had. You don't have doors open that you could have had. Your reputation is wrecked, and you keep now trying to tell people what they hear is wrong when they live in it. If you want to be free, you're going to have to sit down and do with everybody who's determined to shake themselves free. And that is get your journal and list all of the things you did to sabotage your existence and then track it to the reason you did it. I did that. I sat down. I promise you I did. And trust me, you only get the right three. Don't worry about it. The Holy Ghost will bring all the rest. (laughs) The Holy Ghost would be like, I'll take it over from here. Okay. And you get to see, and, and, and I tr- trust me, the Holy Spirit will take you all the way back to the first time you did it, and it hurt you that you did it, and you excuse that with a justification of self-righteousness. 
if you do, now, it, it took me months because first of all, I could only take some. I said, Jesus, okay, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, Father. Amen. Holy Ghost. But if you, because see, you don't need to stand in a prayer line for deliverance if you stand in the truth court of God. So you need to go into the truth court where God knows the truth, where you say, well, I didn't do it, and God will take it. One thing about the Holy Ghost, when he brings it up, you, I'm sitting there, and you're going to try to write it, and he's going to say, no, that's not how that went. Okay? Baby, and, and you cannot beat his technology. You, can, you cannot. And he said, no, 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 that's not how that happened. And so you, and when you look at it and you realize that once you get done, you will loathe yourself for what you did to yourself and everyone else. But then the Lord will come with the blood of the Lamb and the sweet mercies that he promised. And he will wash you with the, because all of these now open gaping sores, you're hurting. I mean, stuff is bleeding, puzzles going. You're like, oh, you're sure. Out of shit. But then he pours his love and his mercy and his blood in all of us. And stitches it up and stitches it up and stitches it up. And when it's over, after you have cried every tear you know you have in your body, you are dehydrated from crying. <laughs> Dry, you know, you used all that water. You need it. You have cried, sniffed, and snorted because you realize what you did, you did to him first. Because you can't hurt humans until you hurt God. Because God is with you 24-7, and his law, his spirit is inside of you. So you can't hurt humans until you hurt God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So, and what did he say? And, and there's an interesting phrase in the prophets, and I want to say that it is Ezekiel where he said, but they violate his law, but then they say he, they wounded his law, which is a being. So you wound these. Paper, but they wounded his law. In violation of his law, they wounded people, starting with wounding him. So if you want to be free, like people ask me, well, you know, well, how are you strong, baby? I wasn't strong. And let me tell you, God and I used to have arguments because I was going to tell him that he missed it. You may not have ever missed anything else, but you missed this with me. <laughs> Holy Ghost was like, I don't miss because before you were born, I was finished with this issue. So I know I'm right. I said, ah. That's, is that the one? He said, you act like I just came along because you came along. I didn't trail you. <laughs> he said, I, I am, I've always been. And we, I, my life literally walked through the stages, situations, and events that got you on the planet. So don't act like you have more knowledge than me because you don't. So... We kind of, you know, but the, but you ever notice that the Lord arguments are brief? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <You> ever, <laughs> more like blips, you know. Okay. So when you when you are trying to serve God and you're serving God through not only brokenness, we've talked about brokenness, but I'm talking about literally trying to serve God through the womb 
and through the sores and through the infections and the infestations of your soul. Because whatever is in your soul will eventually show up in your body, which is why people can be great and powerful ministers for 20, 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden they die of cancer, rottenness to the bones. Why is it rottenness to the bones? Because ultimately that life source of the soul that feeds that marrow will infect your physical self. So you'll get away fine and you'll do well all your days and, and whatever, which is a statement for Moses and a statement for Enoch and a statement for Elijah, a statement for Jesus Christ. What is that statement? That there was no evil in them. Nothing internally or solically was corrupting them or corroding them. Instead, living God's life and choosing God every step of the way strengthened their mortality until they could move into his immortal realm. Does that make sense to you all? So now, where does it begin? It begins with your mouth, and your mouth begins with your thoughts, and your thoughts begins with your mind, and your mind begins with your heart, and in your heart, in your heart there's this desire for things that make you feel safe, that make you feel great, that makes you feel comfortable, that makes you feel just. You need those things. But it has to do with what type of emotional emissions comes from that. For some people, it's doing good and being kind. For other people, it's killing the dog and stripping the cat. See, if you have to understand, the goals are the same. But whether it's the light or the darkness, the evil or righteousness, that makes the difference. There are kids who, when, you, when they see others scream, they feel good. Why? Because it actually shut, blocks out their screaming from their situation. So you grow up and you become the prophet who can only give wicked words who can only give doomsday prophecies, who can only understand God as the slayer, as the killer, as the, the judge. But then you have the other kid who is determined that through all of my ugliness, I have these three things that make me feel good, that make life worth living, that gives me the power to get through day by day. These are going to be your happy time prophets. God never hurts. God never moons. He, God is a good God all the time. You can treat him like trash and he's still going to be good. Isn't that what what we've seen? You're talking about people have done horrible things. You have preachers who've thrown their wives out and stolen their inheritance and they believe that it was justified because she ceased to please him. And they think since she ceased to please him, then she ceased to please his God. So they alter the law, and instead of the scales being here, they tip the scale to their own self-righteousness. And and then they use their mantle as for judgment and as a cudgel. I'll punish you. I'll sentence you by throwing you out and stealing your inheritance. There are, these men will die horrible deaths because that's Bible. Because when 
Ahab and Jezebel stole that man's Naboth's um, vineyard. When they did it, they had to suffer. Now, God got everything good he can get out of them because the Lord is going to squeeze out the good. But look at how horribly they died. And they can say all day long, same thing with women. You, I, I, I just, I, he just doesn't please me. Doesn't, don't worry about it, baby. In, in the end, the last thing you'll want to please you is a pill to stop your face. Because God, if, if God loves you, he deals with your sin on this side. Otherwise, he lets it travel to judge it in the immortal realm. This is maturity. And see, because there are a lot of things that had you had other factors to consider before you made those decisions and you took those actions. They could have changed your mind. They could have restrained you because wisdom and truth are to restrain you from sin and prime you for prosperity and goodness and righteousness. So now we're talking about why is this important. Well, it's important for you to understand that it begins with your tongue because your tongue is actually voicing your heart. You can say all the things you want. I'm not a critic. Yeah, every time I meet you, you criticize it, but you're not a critic. Okay, so you might be using one of those other synonyms. I'm not a critic. I'm just being honest. Right. Honest. But understand, and, and, and trust me, it's kind of like uh, in a criminal family. A criminal family exists against the law. They exist for destroying and destruction and all unrighteousness. But within them, they still have a code. They have an honest code. For example, their honesty would be, didn't I tell you to kill him? I did. Well, then why is he over here? Okay? So words, words are just words until they are a fit to a situation, to an incident, to a person, to a lifestyle, to a consciousness, to a mindset. It's just words. So you're being honest to whom? You're being honest to yourself because you are honestly using that criticism to soothe or assuage something in your soul. How do I know it? Because these are the same people who are being honest and said, because I can't stand people who I can't stand. What you can't stand is what you're going to call honestly when you offload that ire or irritation on someone else. I can't stand this. Well, I don't like that. Well, I just don't believe in this. Well, I don't believe in that. Well, I just, so your honesty is based on you treating your discomforts, your disapprovals, your inadequacies, your incapacity. But trust me, because God says speaking the truth in love. Well, speaking the truth in love is a very difficult thing to do unless you understand the framework for doing it. Love has a framework. The first thing love does is withholds the, that, that pain and sorrow until the person can do it, can handle it. For example, God has a you know, I don't even know if I should, but God has a way of just loving you up and loving you up and loving you up. I mean, he blesses you, and he says he does it. He blesses you. He strengthens you. He beats you up for his correction and chastisement. So you can withstand it, and you, can, and you have the right frame of mind to receive it. Because he said, a, a bruised reed I will not, what, break, nor will I extinguish a smoking flax. If all you got is this little bit to hang on to to get you through life, God's not going to tell you all of the things that he needs to work on. Yeah. 
He's not going to do that because that's useless to him because he's not trying to devastate you. So he will encourage you and set it aside and build you up and set it aside and give you stuff and set it aside and give you some friends and love on you and everything. Set it aside until you're strong enough and wise enough to arrive at the right conclusion when he corrects you. Does this make sense to you all? So he'll do that. So he said to Israel, he said, but in the day I visit for judgment, all right, but right now I'm going to make you the most powerful nation on the planet. I am going to make you wealthy so all the gods know that I am God of gods, that I am the great I am. So you're going to show forth my glory, and they're going to know I'm the good shepherd and I'm the good God. But when it comes time, and how, so now we can take a lesson from that. You see somebody doing their very best. They are struggling, and they are struggling humbly because there are some people, they just whatever. But they're struggling, but they're hum- humble, and you know it. You go, and before you give them a piece of your mind or go honest, you need to pray for them. You should never speak honestly to anybody that you've not prayed for because prayer is going to give you the other side of the story. When you're praying for people, you might end up not having to say it at all because now God is, since you've given it voice in this realm, those those spirits and forces assigned to their lives will go to work. Or you'll be able to say it in a way that builds them up and edifies them. But if people feel, if they're brutalized after you've done it, one of two things have happened. You've done it out of season in your way, or either God needed to shatter them in order to build them, if you're in his righteousness. Because your stuff needs to be righteous. Because, to be honest with you, hypocrisy does not set souls free. I know sometimes we think it does, but it doesn't. So before you decide to go and give people that peace of your mind, pray for them. And at least pray for them for at least, if you can, at least three weeks, three days to three weeks. Because God will begin to heal them. People are blinded, just like you're blinded to your soul. People are soul blind. Aren't they? That's why when folk bring stuff to your attention, the first thing you do is deny it. The second thing you do is defend yourself against it. And the third thing you do is literally break the relationship because you're soul blind. And your soul is moving and it's sending stuff through to your body biochemically, all of those biochemicals are coming through their soul realm, through the bloodline in your life, and you don't see it. And so in order for us to do it, you've got to pray for people, and you've got to ask God. Don't tell God, that, you know, sick him. He is not your guard dog. He's not going to sick him because you say so, okay? You can't tell God to sick people because, see, the first thing God's going to do is sick you. Because he's got to get, he got to deal with the fact that you, all you want to do is destroy, hurt and destroy. I, I thank you for keeping it up, because you know I'm not thinking about it today. Okay, okay. So God will the reason, and He will literally plunder your life and pummel your soul until He can get the spirit of truth, 
running through it. So he will flush your soul with trials and tribulations. So he can flush out why you think others need to be beat up and destroyed at your work. So it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, but deceives his heart, but deceives his heart, this, what it says, this person's religious is worthless. I want you to think about the fact that you, you literally increase the deception in your heart because in your heart they're like templates, these, you know, murders and all of their templates but by externals as well as by the internal reactions to life happening to you, you fill them in. And you fill them in with wishes. I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone. I wish I had that. I wish God would get you. See, all of that wishing is wanting. Wanting equals desire. So if you're going to serve the Lord, then you're going to have to make sure that before you issue edicts and decrees on other people's existence that you and God have dealt with yours. And that the first thing you realize, you must get rid of the spirit of the lie. You have to. And the lie does not have to be something that you told. The spirit of the lie could be just something as simple as, I refuse to see it this way. I choose to look at it like this. I choose to be heavy-handed. I choose to be abusive. I choose to force people to obey me. I choose to do that. So you're, and again, we come back to those choices. And where do choices come from? Choices are the seedbed of desire, of wanting, and wishing. Because once you bring something into existence, you have to choose how it's going to make its way into the world and how it's going to operate and maneuver itself to bring your desires to pass. That's choice. And so when we do Soul Sundays, this is what we go through. We talk about it. So when you, you, you might think you're hiding it, but if they just see me, but if they just hear me, but if they just understand me. And, but the question, is, that's the wrong question. The question is why won't God see me, let people see me? Why won't the Lord cause people to hear? So you need to understand why God is holding you back. Because the Bible said promotion comes from God. He lifts up one and pulls down another. So why is God sitting on you? That's your first step to liberty, answering that question. Because the answer to that question, when it hits the true honesty of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost is with you 24-7. And not just looking from the air. He's not a satellite getting the aerial view of your life. The Holy Ghost is in you. He's the internal surveiller of your soul and your existence. Internal. So, and you know he is because when you are in a mood to listen, you go and do something stupid, he'll say, now why? You know, I feel bad for the people who don't have the Holy Ghost because you don't get, I mean, come on here. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's nice to get that quick response sometimes. You know, restrain me, Lord. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, but instead of the people who don't have it, life has got to show you you're wrong. That's a lot of 24-7, 365 to find out that you were wrong in this middle issue. 
which is why God gave us guilt. See, guilt is that quick response to life habits or decisions or choices that conflict with your maker. So what Satan does is he numbs your guilt factor. You don't have a guilt faculty any longer. He numbs it. Isn't that what the world says? Guilt's not of God. I mean, guilt's not normal. You don't have to feel guilty. Why do people keep doing things? Because they practice killing their guilt machine. So actually, you don't ever kill it because heaven is registering it. What you do, though, is you neutralize it. So it no longer works. It's kind of like messing with your alarm and messing with your alarm and messing with your alarm until it just no longer works. Yeah, honey, that soul snooze button. Yeah. And before you know it, you're late for everything. And, next, and then you're out. You go from late to out. So when you, when you think about how God works, God trains you. The Holy Ghost is to retrain your soul so that it goes back to the day before or the day that male and female were communing with the Almighty. You know, people teach that the salvation takes you back to the garden. No, it doesn't. It takes you back to heaven. It takes you back to the throne, to the temple of the Almighty. It's very important that you recognize that. So now you want to think about your words. I taught Sunday. I said, but you realize you you cannot pull in God miracles. Now, Satan going to do some miracles. You know, we got lion signs and wonders and all of that. But those are miracles that enslave. If you can tell if a miracle enslaves a person, I'm just saying, I'm going to hit the, there we go. Go ahead. Hit that liberty bell. (laughs) So you can, because even miracles need to be inspected. And they need to be examined and analyzed because God told you. If you read Deuteronomy 13, he said there are miracles that darkness can do, but they pull you from him and they enslave you to sin. That's a quick way of remembering it. Devil miracles pull you from your maker and enslave you to sin. You get rich and you are now sitting at this table with people who hate God, and you're being reconditioned to resent him and then ignore him, and finally to abandon him. Now, Deuteronomy 13 tells you that, as, as well as other passages of Scripture. Lying signs and wonder lock you into darkness, lock you into your sin, and they, the more you are blessed, the more you are Tested in the area because God said, I, I do it. I step from you to test you to see if you love the Lord your God. If you love me enough to not keep walking out on my sermons, to take phone calls, to not keep skipping sessions that you used to think were vital to you because you, you, you then wanted it, to not decide I'm not doing church any longer and God understands. See, all of those miracles, those are trial and tribulation miracles. Because every miracle is. Will you keep prayer time? Will you keep Bible time? Will you keep giving God time? Or will you begin to say, but Lord, you know, I mean, after all, Jesus, you did give me this. 
it's your fault that I can't go to church. It's your fault that I'm no longer serving in the ministry. It's your fault that I'm not. It's your fault because you blessed me. You blessed me. And so when I look at people like that, you know what I think? Yeah, but you're going to fall because you know what? God's not important now. Uh Like I purposely, if I have my phone with me, I'm going to turn it off or down. I'm not going. If I'm going to be in an event that that says it's God, I'm going to reverence God. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is have somebody, hey, you take all of my calls, or, you, or I tell them only text, and then I text back on breaks. Why? Because it's the middle things. People don't fall on big, into big sin until they fall into the habit of little things. And I look at ministers, and they all are like, well, you don't understand. This is big. It is not bigger than God, and if God can't keep it, it doesn't matter. If God can't bless you, it doesn't matter. But what he, what he is looking at is that soon you won't be his. And you don't realize that. Why? Because your words. You already said, I, I mean, I'm sorry I got to do this, but I'm sorry we can't do this and we can't do this any longer. Because when God blesses you, you, you establish a new priority list, and that is priority of relinquishment. I'm going, I cannot do the priority that I can't do. Well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. And it gets very easy. If before you know it, you are like having church on the plane by yourself with your Bible as you fall asleep. You don't realize that, that even, it doesn't make a difference where the blessing comes from. It's always, the blessing is always first inaugurated by testing. God's going to test you. It's easy for you to be faithful when you got nothing, but that's not the thing because God made of a nation of kings and priests or sovereigns and priests to him. So if that's the case, we're going to have to learn like he does how to balance our lot in life, how to bless, how to regulate, how to prioritize, and how to, what do you call it, delegate and distribute. It's a hard training, and trust me, I'm in it. I'm in it. I come to my church. I minister at my church. I do my show. I do the other show. I do continue writing. I do pray for you all. I continue to talk with my leaders. I continue to do it. And you know what I ask for? I ask for strength. I ask for wisdom. And I ask for enlargement. Because let me tell you something. When God does it, you get a vigor. You get an energy that you can't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I still look at it, I said, why do people keep saying it's a lot? Because I'm like, really, fine. You know, now sometimes if I stay up playing a game too late, I'm probably going to be in trouble. <laughs> be, uh, you know, be in trouble. But the point of the matter is, if I can't say that I'm doing it for him, and then I'm not with him, I'm not thinking of him. I'm not inquiring because when you don't put in that God time, you eventually make your thoughts his word. Because you certainly don't want to tell yourself that you are ignoring him. So, yeah, because, I mean, I just said and God said and I just, and it's not God at all. And sometimes God waits a decade before he tells you, oh, by the way, that wasn't me. (laughs) And you want to say, well, why didn't you say it earlier? And he said, would you have heard? Because you were not in the frame of mind. The reason you're hearing me now is because I forced you into a place where you can no longer block me out and blank my sound. You ever notice that you can turn TV up loud? You can have bass. 
you can have boom, you can have kids crying, neighbors showing up, and you still hear God. Now that's the technology. You still that's and it's still he doesn't yell, still small boy. What is this man's channel? <laughs> How do you know when you're doing too much? Especially if you're in a position like us as a leader where you can always be doing something. How do you know when you cross the line of too much and you need to pull back in order to not compromise yourself in your in your seat? Well, I have found in my, and I'm sure that answer is different for everyone, but in my experience, I have found God, first of all, begins to tell me. And then he begins to pull back his grace so that I'm, my resilience is not what it normally is. So he begins to pull back his grace with things I used to do easily. I feel like I'm trying to push against the grain. First of all, he'll tell me, and I make that, uh, state that twice because you should know that if you can obey God's voice, then you don't have to deal with God's uh, exertions or God's reinforcements or enforcement. Mm. So I, you know, and, and sometimes I'm like, but God, you don't understand. And he will go with it a little bit, then eventually he stops talking about it. The, the issue I've learned is when God shuts up, that's a problem. Because he is very adamant about what he says, and he's very protective over what he gives us to do for him. So that's it. So then the second thing he'll pull back. Then after that, for me, now this is me, other people is different, but for me, he'll start telling me, um, you need to rest. And, and this is different. Like he's pulling back, and he's answering me by, because you need to rest. Because God knows that his strength, his spirit is massive and it's potent, and if he doesn't turn it down, it will burn us out. So he turns it down. And then after he turns it down and I still push, because sometimes you just, you, you run it on your, now I'm in, I'm in my power. And he'll tell you, you know, you're doing that in your strength. That's not me. That's your strength. Now, after that, he'll make situations happen where things just get delayed or they get slugged up and whatever. But never in the beginning, always by the time I'm not ready to relax. And then finally, when it's all said and done, God stops me. He just stops me. I can't do it. I mean, I was like, and I said, but God, I'm, and then, I, you know, me, I've always, because he's always there for me. So I'm always, I can always pull up because that reservoir is there. And so I'm like, but God, why? He said, because you wouldn't listen. He said, and I'm not going to burn you out. So when he gets to that point, then, interesting, my mortality becomes very accentuated. Old issues, physical ailment, all of that. Now, none of that happens when I'm on in peak. I don't feel it. They'll tell you I don't. I'll just get up and do whatever. But when he's ready for me to stop, and sometimes God wants you to stop because you're doing too much, and other times he's slowing you down to regulate the achievement and the pursuit of what you're doing. Yeah. But it, it's all dealing with being super intimate with this man. And I really say that because I don't, I don't know. I've been walking with God since 1982. We have walked together every day since then except one day, and I've talked about that over and over again. I don't have a day, not one day. I don't have an hour where God and I are not like he's sitting with me or we're arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. God and I literally are shoulder to shoulder every single day. So it's not hard for me to figure out 
where he is or what he feels about what I'm doing. Because, and it's not always words. See, we think that God only talks words. Well, I didn't hear anything. No, no. God has so many ways. I'm going to do a broadcast on all of the ways that God communicates so that you can pick it up. Because, so, because when you're with someone every day, there's a lot of words that don't have to transpire. There are a lot of things that just don't need to be said, you know. And so I am with this man. When I say every day, I don't care what I'm doing. At any point, I, when I'm writing, I'm like, hey, God, I can't think of a Before I could even get there, boom, it's there. So I don't have a day. I don't have an hour. I don't have a night. And I'm not saying this braggadocious, but I am. I am bragging. I'm bragging on our relationship. Our, our union, God and I have passed relationship. We're into union, and we're moving into oneness. As he is, so am I in this world. And I'm telling you, and I tell him every day, when I go to sleep at night, I say, you know, Jesus, I said, I just I love that you saved me. And I tell him, I love everything about you. I don't care if God burnt down 20 planets and 16 nations. I'm still going to say, but I love you because I know you're a just God. I love everything you are, Jesus. I love every way you think. I love how you feel. I love your emotions moving through me. I love that wisdom, and I bless you for that mercy. And I love you, Jesus Christ, on your terms. I don't downgrade God. I don't bring him down to me. He did that once. It's time for me now to go up to him. And so I, I don't have those. So when I, it's not very hard for God to say, uh-uh. And he doesn't say anything. Sometimes he just lets you feel, feel his wisdom or feel his feelings or his sentiments or whatever. And I told him, I will give this up for no one. Because from 1982 to now, I mean, I think about my daughter been walking with God, I don't even know what, she's four or five years old, that's all she knows. You almost envy people like that. Like, that's all you know? <laughs> Ashley, since she's like, you know, that's how far. They don't know the other side. And in some ways, that's a good thing. You know, in other ways, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, but at least we know that we're forgiven. And that, you know, because some of us got some real mess on the books. But but the point that I'm saying is from 1982 to now, I only know one day that we didn't talk. When I was, I, I was mad with God after I had my surgery, and he had me, you know, I had surgery, radical hysterectomy. I fussed with him all the time until he got sick of it. He talked to me every day, every second of every day. He can tell me in the moment. He doesn't even have to tell me because we have become so one. My agreement with his character, my agreement, and my my rejoicing in his character, in his perceptions, in it. I rejoice in that. He doesn't have to change. He can't change, but I want him to know that I'm not going to change him in me, but I'm going to change into him, and I want to change into him. I don't want. I mean, I'm honest about what he says works and doesn't work, what he says is positive or negative, what he says is good or not. You understand what I'm saying to you? I'm honest about that, and I approve of it. You know, it's like, you know, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm Paula Price, and I approve of this side of God. I approve of him. I approve of everything that he says and does. Why? Because the, the more you stop arguing, the closer he 
brings you in, and the more of a eyewitness view you get of his life and his experience. See, because religion imagines God's experience. But redemption reveals it. And so I, I'm past imagining God's experience with his creation, with his creatures. I'm beyond that. I am now moving on the revelation of my redemption. I've been bought into, I wasn't just bought back from sin. I was bought into God's eye view. And I love it. I enjoy this man so much. And, and he's fun. I mean, God is fun in movies. You don't even think about I told you. I, I told you before, every now and then he just messes with you. Give you a spoiler alert. You know someone so did. Jesus. <laughs> you almost could turn it on. Maybe that's the point. Because he's already. <laughs> that could be that don't even waste your time. You know, maybe that's what he's trying to do. But, you know, he enjoys it. Then, and then there are other times he will train you or teach you. I mean, this life, for me, I don't know about anybody else. But for me, there is no richer existence than this. I know I traded up. I know I'm in the right place, and I know God and I are in a good place. Are we in a perfect place? Probably not, but, you know, tomorrow will be perfect. Today, we're perfect for today, and then tomorrow will be perfect for tomorrow because whatever he needs to say, he says. Whatever he needs to fix, he fixes. And now we're at a point where he doesn't even announce it. I just move into deliverance mode. Oh, oh no, this ain't why I'm crying. And then I realize, oh, oh, he's taking things out that he doesn't need. I'm ready to let them go. And the soul, literally, the soul cries, tears. It cries. Because that's his sign of pain. Just like tears of your body, your soul weeps. And so he starts taking things out. Sometimes he tells me. Sometimes he doesn't. And then I'm, I'm also aware when he puts things in. Like he'll put something in, and I'm wondering, what is going on? Jesus, why am I feeling? Three weeks later, I got something else I could do. I can, I know something. I see. I'm, my, an ability is there. It's whatever. But we are close enough for me to let him always be the almighty, always be the maker, always be the great I am. I don't want God to ever be that. And I don't, I, I do not treat him as if he's not God. When I'm doing stuff, I do not treat him as if he's somehow or another, he's not omniscient. I, I just don't. I'm like, well, God, no need to be acting like that didn't happen because I'm sure you saw it before the foundation of the world. So let's go on. What are we doing with this, Jesus? Where are we going? You know, how are we going to work with this, Lord? And, 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 and I don't know if this is helping you. I'm just, I don't even know how I got into this place. But if I know that I am, that I've messed up with him at some time because the soul is blind, and I still have a lot of soul blind spots. But, um, but if I know that, when he brings it to my attention, I don't lie. The first thing, because, you know, the first thing Adam did was lie. The dragon, lie. Serpent, lie. I don't lie because to lie to God is the highest offense because you are actually acting as if he did not know this before the foundation of the world. So I don't lie. I don't deny. And I just say, you know what, God, you're right. That was dumb. Sometimes I do. Most I don't cry as much as I used to because you get stronger. But, um, but, but to be honest with you, I just say, you know, God, you're right. That was dumb. I don't even know why I did it. 
Why? He's a person. So I'm dealing with him as a person in a relationship that I want to keep in a union that I don't want to fracture. So if he says that I did so-and-so, now you know, so really, Jesus? I see it like that. Wow, okay. And then, hey, Lord, and I promise you, I do not go, I don't treat him as if he's not omniscient, omnipresent or omnipotent. That's what he hates. You only lie to God because he's less to you than he is to himself. So I don't make God less than what he is to me. I just don't. I don't care what a devil says. I don't make him less to me than he is to himself. God is God whether I'm on this planet or not. He's going to be the almighty whether I hang out or whether I die. But while we're together, we are one, and I cannot act like I disagree with his righteousness. I don't do that. I don't act as if his righteousness is a burden and a a noose around my neck. I say, you know, God, you're right. I'm not sure. Yeah. And you know you did that because, really? Wow. And sometimes he'll take me back to the time that I literally inseminated my soul with that and show me this is why this came up here. And begins, because he's always nurturing. He's always grooming me for, 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 for his stature. He's always developing me. Or and sometimes I'll say, God, you know what? Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I did not know. I repent, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and we go on. We don't have to go into a prayer closet with our 45 tapes on how bad I am and how horrible we are. and uh, We don't do that. We just don't. He tells me, and I say I'm right. And see, when, when God tells you, he doesn't just voice it. And so he tells me, and I just say, you're right. I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me, God, and, you know, what do I need to do? If I need to make reparations, I do. If I need to go and speak to somebody I do. Sometimes he'll do something um, in this era that actually was back then, but now he's rectifying it. And he's relieving me of it so that it's not again. So as I, I could share with all of you, and I mean it from my heart, that, that is what, all of those things that I gave you is why I don't wonder if he's going to do anything or if he's not. Even if, I, if he wants to do something spectacular like this building. Sherebo. Ooh, he had to work my faith for that. And I mean, he worked my faith every single day. You know why? Because I told him, I don't know you like this. I have never known you like this. So I'm learning you in a new way. And I don't have faith for this new way that I'm learning. And this here way is a a faith potency I never had before. So he began to work faith potency in me, the potency of his faith. And he worked it, and whenever I got a hiccup and whenever I got stuck, he did it. But he locked me, my spirit and soul, one, and locked them together so solid that no matter what the brain had, because, you know, the brain is picking up things from out externally, nothing moved me. When he has a major project, we go through some sort of, I don't know, preparation, or um, I want to say transformation is a better word, where he gets me to the point that I can't see anything but his will and his purpose. I don't know anything but this is what he wants. And there is no variation in me. There is no shaking. I think, Jesus, well, I don't know. So I know that every, at every level, God's got to groom you for the potencies of that particular level because the potencies of your purpose, you've you got this purpose here but you're not strong enough for it. You know, you're not convinced enough about it. Your persuasions are off. And he works that. Well, it used to take us, um, like, years, maybe a decade. Now we're doing this and, like, that. Why? Because every time he's building on his last strength. 
he's building on his last, inter, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, upgrade. So he's doing that. Why? Because he wants to win. But you won't get to that level if you are not true. The one thing God told me, he said, Paula, I can't abide a lie. He said, I cannot abide a lie, ever. Whether that's a lying of the leaf or a lying, um, you know, a reaction or response, he said, I can't abide a lie. He said, I cover you, and my blood will cover everything that you have, but I need you to know that my, bro- my blood will never cover a lie. Mm-hmm. And I said, Okay. So I had to learn. I'm bringing this full circle. I probably you'll probably see that. So I had to learn that I had to be as truthful with God as God is with Himself. Wow. So I had to admit when stuff was off. I had to admit when I was wrong. I had to admit when this didn't happen. And and, and trust me, they'll tell you. Uh, no, no, no. Even when I started communicating, I found that when, in my early days I had to keep saying, no, that's not right, scratch that. Why? I'm scratching that lie out of my soul, that lie out of my consciousness. Scratch that. I had to start saying numbers correctly. I had to start pushing to remember dates correctly and then incidents. I couldn't retell incidents wrongly. I was like, uh-uh-uh, that's not the right account. Why? Because he's making me a reliable, credible voice to his people as I represent him in this world. So I learned to, and my daughter will tell you, I stopped, there's a lot of things, I just stopped saying, I'm not even going to talk about that. If I don't get it right, I don't talk about it until he wants it. Uh, But but there are a lot of things I just stopped saying. I just stopped talking about, because even if it started out on a half-truth, trust me, no lie is of the truth. So that means that if it's a half-truth, then it's a lie in God's mind, because it's going to breed that. An error. And, and it's hard. It's not easy. It really isn't easy. But God gives you unbelievable stratagems for even getting around sticky situations. You're like, really, Jesus? Because truth for us is a, a nugget. It's a confession, whatever. But truth for God is a substance with an essence. Because it is all, and it encompasses the full thing. It's a 360 for God. He's going to give you the 360 compass on everything that is truth. You might only need to tell this part. But he understands all of that. And these are classes, which is probably how I would wrap this up, but these are classes for me that all of these textbooks that you see I've written, these are classes. This is what he trained me to do. This is how he trained me. And then, he, you know, like he tells everybody, okay, did you get this? Okay, go tell my people. Okay. Go help my people. Okay, go heal my people. Why? Because it's not for just for me. If it's just for me, what's the point? So all of these textbooks that I've written, the dictionary, this here, assessing your prophetic self, I wrote this because God kept giving me ways that he assessed me. Because I said, well, God, that's great, but you're invisible and inaudible. How am I going to know? And so he began to give me ways that he assessed me. And I would write assessments, write what he wrote. And sometimes I'd do it because of myself. And other times he said, what does he say to the prophet? What you see, write it down. And so all of these things that you have, the textbooks, the, 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 the soul thing, why? Because I made myself a good student. And I did it because I felt like if he, the Almighty, would step out of 
eternity to make sure I understand him, the least I could do was be a good student. And so I did. And he, because I, if I learned one thing, he'd give me another. My, she could tell you, and I'm sure Norma and the rest of them can tell you, I can pretty much write a five to ten page section on a book in a day. Out of my, am I exaggerating? I mean, it's not hard. It is not hard. And you know why it's not hard? Because I've become him and I let him become him in me. So now I'm not trying to reach. Now, how did I get there? I had to do a lot, a lot of homework. I, I told you the story. He would make me study to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I would have to study. And I said, you do know I'm the mother of three children, and I'm, I'm a wife and whatever. I only used that one a couple times, and afterwards when he said that he can handle it, I thought, let me just pull that off the table. So we don't, we don't use that. And so he said, but one thing he said, he said, but you could ask me for grace. He said, because if I gave you something and I have a grace, then ask me for the grace. Ask me to enlarge you. Ask me to groom you. Ask me to grow you up. He said, ask of me. You have not because you have not. Well, I said, but I didn't know I could ask you for stuff like that. And so I would read the scriptures, and he would talk about how he upgraded this, how he, and that, you know, all of that New Testament stuff that we made religious because we're operating from an imaginary standpoint, are actual abilities. They're actual faculties. They're actual downloads and impartations. They're real, and they're meant to fuse with our biological self. So he would ask me, well, what do you want? Well, God, I'm sorry, but my head keeps hurting every time i got to read a book. What do you want? I want my brain enlarged. Well, then why don't you say that? Because, see, we talk to God as if we want to get out of the task and get off the hook. He wants us to talk to him as if he's the almighty and the maker of all things and able to enlarge us, to upgrade us, and to enhance us. We don't talk to God as if he's the all-sufficient God. We'd rather talk to him as if he's imposing hardship, and then you want us to do things. You unrighteous God. You got me doing stuff you know I can't do. That is not the Lord. He does not ask you to do anything that he hasn't, and you just don't even know it, that he has not priorly upgraded you to do, which is why the more you pray, the more you release what he gave you to do it. And I don't just, like, I'm not writing and dropping to my knees. I'm like, okay, so Jesus, please help me, Lord. I just need God. I do. I say, Lord, please open up my eyes. I'm not seeing it. Like, when I have to read hard stuff, I have to tell him, hey, God, I'm, I'm brain blind here. Would you open up my brain, you know, and open up my mind because I'm blind on this. He talks about blindness throughout the entire Bible. So we should not be surprised that we have to include that in our prayers. And I said, but, God, I'm blind. I'm not seeing it. Show me what you're seeing. Show me how you're seeing it. And I'm telling you, because I got Holy Ghost in and Holy Ghost on. See, we have to make sure we get that. Holy Ghost in and Holy Ghost on. So we're carrying him and we're wearing him. Oh, y'all didn't catch that at all. They didn't catch that. Um. <laughs> oh, you caught it. See, I'm carrying him and I'm wearing him. I need you to hear that. So I am never without God in this world. So if I'm not without God and I have a full view, a full scope of who he is, then I don't walk around feeling inadequate. 
or incapable. Sometimes it shows up in an hour. Sometimes it shows up in a moment. Sometimes it shows up in a decade. But eventually you will find that you are more today than you were before. And that's where I live. I live in that place of carrying him and wearing him. I am a wearer of the Holy Ghost, he, which means I'm always enmantled with God. You fail God because you chose to fail him because you don't like his methods and his course for you, not because God can't get, get you through. And me, I refuse to be filled with the fullness of the Godhead and an idiot. I refuse to be filled with the fullness of the Godhead and hopeless. I refuse to do that. And there are times, I mean, and I notice that when I misbehave, I get in that point where I just don't want to push and I don't want to be shoved. Those are the times that I fall back to my flesh. I literally summon my flesh to get me off the hook. You don't want to admit that, but you do. Because when you really want him to do something, you slamming your flesh down. You get back in that box, locking it down in the trunk. Because <laughs> you need God to get me. God need God to help me do it. But when you start summoning your flesh to get you out of it, that is a place in your heart and in your soul where you, are, you have resolved that I'm never going to let this go because this is a guardian, because this is a defender, because this is a shield, this is a protector. So when God, when you hit those, those you made it in the flesh. So you keep it, if not dormant, submerged in the flesh. Because you just might need it to get out of something that God wants you to do that you don't like. You just might need it. You might need that. Go ahead. And so why am I saying that? When we are reading Ephesians 4, that we ought to become the measure and stature of Jesus Christ. Well, what are we talking about here? Nobody articulates that for you. Uh, well, very few people, because God has people around the world, so let me not use that. But very few people allow you to hear how they rose in God, how they got to be who they are in God, and what will motivate him to oblige you, obligate you, or to refuse you. I prefer ignore, which is the same for God. But what will make you great in God? It's not the things that say, say, your witness or your testimony per se. My testimony has helped you, but it's more than a testimony. You all are understanding that. There's an engrafting that I'm doing, even if it's starting with triggering your hope. God, when he says he's engrafted, the engrafted word of God, look that word up. Don't just take it lightly. What does he mean by engrafting? Well, when you get a skin graft, what is it? And it eventually becomes you because it eventually shapes itself. Right. It becomes part of your tissue. God engrafts himself. And the grafts take a while. And the graft comes from his word. That's why he talked about strong meat. Why? When will you get your next graft? I'll tell you when. When the last cry takes and it's become you. When that last, the last graph you got, whether it was to give you ability to do this, hide that, 
cure this, whatever that graft is. But when that last graft becomes yours and mature, then he gives you the next graft. Well, how do you mature graft? He says, by reason of use. Using the word in everything. And then seeing the word in everything, or the word's logic in everything. See, as long as we are a religion, redemption profits us nothing. We've got to be the redemption. The redeemed of the Lord must say so. He didn't say the religious of the Lord. He said the redeemed of the Lord. And we're redeemed. So I I don't operate on religion. I operate on redemption. Why? Because redemption means I'm assimilated into Godhead, and the Godhead is assimilating itself in me. Remember, I'm carrying it, and I'm wearing it. And I never forget it. I don't make decisions without him. And if I, if I do, you know, sometimes I try to get really fresh because I just want to let God know I'm, it's working. He's never impressed, but I, I work with him, you know. I, do. <laughs> I try to work with him. We try to work with the Lord. I try. I work with him. But what I do know is that there are times he's not going to treat you like you're a teenager, like you're a kid. There are times that he's going to prick you for his wisdom to show up in you. He wants to see it working because if he can see it working, then he can see its fruit being born in the earth. That's why he wants you to use the word. He's not trying to make you use the word because you're religious. Anybody scared about you using the word but Satan? Because he knows that that word crushes him, destroys him, neutralizes him. So he needs the saints using the word. Now, I'm gonna, I'll be teaching this till I go home to be with glory, and we'll have a whole generation or two that will do it. But rest assured, there is going to be what I like to call the post-Hagan, post-oral generation, who are the, like the post-Joshua folks who don't know the Lord because he's going to go after it and begin to make you say, again, feel bad. How are you going to use the Bible? The Bible's obsolete. Tell me why it's in your universities if it's so obsolete. No, you don't want it in our mouth. Why? Because we carry and we wear. And the carriers and the wearers have the potency. I don't know about that. You do? That's powerful. Would you like to have some final comments? Same time to sow a seed. Yeah. Uh, seed is good. That's worthy of a seed. I mean, we I don't know where we went today. <laughs> you, we went into, been, you went into my temple time with God. We, we've been delivered, set free, convicted, <laughs> re- redeemed, maybe partially resurrected. I think we have some prayer closet work to do, the, the, the court corner. Sanctuary work. You know, we got to work on our sanctuary out here. Yes. Now you understand how I got my internal sanctuary. I have, I yeah. live in the sanctuary of the Almighty. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a uh, challenging broadcast. Thank you. Which is why, you know, people who come alongside you, whether it's in viewing or in actual partnership, you hear this word and you have to make a decision. Yeah. This is not that passive amen. Yeah, just every time, ooh, I'm just going to, yes, I'm just encouraged all the time because it's a pep rally and <laughs> halftime show. Every, every service. 
this is like with Jesus when he got down to the nuts and bolts of why he came. Mm-hmm. And he looked up. Everybody was gone. Yeah, 12. Even one devil stayed. And even the devil stayed until it was time for him to activate. But he, they wanted that happy time gospel. Yeah. Not understanding that, to me, this is the happy time gospel. Because this teaches you how to survive, how to thrive, how to recognize the enemy, ideally when he is starting to mess with you, and not when your whole life is so destroyed that you're like, oh, that was the devil. Wow. And so, I mean, this is the word, the word of God. You have got to make a decision. Do you want to be changed or not? I mean, when you were uh, even going through the different ways that seduction comes and, okay, you're always jumping out to take a phone call, all of a sudden things that used to be paramount Mm -hmm. to you for you to be present when it comes to the things of God, all the other things to kind of bump him, bump him, bump him, and you really don't realize, especially if you are a minister and Mm -hmm. doing the work of the Lord is your job. Yeah that you're still pushing him to the side, pushing him to the bottom, rescheduling him, the person, mm-hmm. for his work. For his work. And separating that out. It's like the uh, parent or spouse who is always working mm-hmm. to provide for the family, but never, there. But never with the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, a good analogy. And so we, we sometimes are like, but I'm, I'm doing your work, I'm doing your work, I'm doing your work, I'm doing your work. And it's like, but... What about you? Mm-hmm. And what about me, the Lord? And, and really fighting for that one-on-one, real-time connection, yeah. not passive. When, when we're in a ministry like this, oh, my goodness, we get so much from every broadcast, even passively. Mm-hmm. Like you could have this on while you're doing something else, and every other phrase is still going to say, ooh, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm driving. I need to focus. Oh, I missed my turn. Listening to the word. Oh, Lord, I was trying to clean my house. I ended up sitting down. But that doesn't mean that you are actually stopping long enough to be converted by the word. And a lot of times because we are inspired by the word and uh, we might be smacked by the word, we are not uh, stopping long enough to be converted, to submit to the hand of God. And and uh, it's easy to fall into. And so today there was a lot of wisdom there. I feel like we were actually in four messages today Well, that we can break that. this up. Okay. To use, I mean, some of this could be the self-study. Other things are going to be podcast. whatever podcast. And I'm like, ooh. And then others, I'm just going to go work on, <clears throat> <laughs> which is all of it. <laughs> but, yes, we're going to sow a seed on that. I know that the giving is already crawling across your screens. The, you, you always want to put back in to what you have received. And because this is not like uh, e-commerce or anything else where you have to pay first and then receive. No, no. You receive and then so into, so into this apostle, so into this woman of God who has paid a tremendous price. Financially, she has paid a tremendous price. I know we want to talk about all the other things, but at the bottom line, dollar paid a tremendous price to see to it that we can continue to get these messages over all of the years. So let's all so into that today. Well, I, and I want to start by saying to you, um, I'm going to pray right now for what you sow in. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will give you the grace, but also give you of what I shared with you. The one thing, there is one statement that will encompass everything that I said, and that is, I sought God's soul. I want the soul of my Savior. I want his soul, not just his spirit to keep me so I can get to heaven, but I want his soul. 
And that's really what it is. And when we do soul studies, we don't realize we don't study God's soul. We just don't think about it. So that's what I want. Father God, I give you praise. I give you glory and honor for who you are and all that that you've done, Lord. I, I celebrate you as the Almighty, and I thank you for giving me the words and the understanding to articulate what what you have built between us, what you have called, caused to become us, Jesus. And I thank you for that. I'm asking that you would give the people who heard this a taste, a sample of what's waiting for them, a sample of that glory, a sample of that intimacy. We use the word intimacy, and no one really lets us know what it looks like, what it takes, what it involves. I thank you for that. I thank you for causing me to help them understand how you behave in our souls and how you behave as our Savior, our Redeemer, and Maker. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would just, just give them an opportunity, just for those who are seeking you like that, give them an opportunity to create that sanctuary world between you and them, because you are my sanctuary world. You are the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we don't understand that, what that looks like, that, that in us you are operating as we do in our temples. And that, so, God, I'm asking that you give us an opportunity to create that sanctuary world and that sanctuary environment in us and around us in you and by you. I'm asking that you move away every religious bond, bond uh, that's on us. Lord, shatter the religious consciousness that frustrates your redemption in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for getting us beyond acts of acts of religion and acts of devotion into expressions and, Lord, into the fusion of devotion that makes us one. Cause our reverence to be more than what we hear across the pulpit or what we read in someone's book. Cause that reverence, Father God, to become what keeps us in your stead and what keeps us admiring you and exalting you and just loving on you. God, give us a chance. Give us a hope in this hour because your, your children miss you. We, we need you, Lord. We need you more than we need a church pew right now, which is probably why there aren't a lot of us. We need you, God, and we want you. So give them that sample. Give them that taste, Holy Ghost, that they will know the greatness of your glory, the sweetness of your communion, and the, the warmth and the the. The, the promotion and elevation of your fellowship. And I ask you to do it. And for everyone who's sowing a seed, God, I'm asking that you cause that material seed to reverberate back to them for spiritual manifestation and spiritual fulfillment of what we've discussed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ooh, boy, glory. Is it me or what? I'm like, oh, the, who brought the clown? Um, well, it's time for us to go. They already told us we're done. The lady has counted us down and out. See you Sunday at the embassy, home of the congregation of the mighty where God stands. And also, we'll see you for Sunday school with Prophet Angela Powers and then Sunday service with me and worship with First Fruits of Praise. Y'all had an anniversary that we let go about then, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, we need to do something. And 21 years in believing God for 21 years for this day. And so I thank God for you. Have a great weekend. Love on your family. 
do something very godlike with your family. And I don't mean just Bible reading and songs, but do something. Let God show you something different in your life with him. In Jesus' name, hey, think differently and live powerfully. God bless you. Glory. Oh, good. And they get to hear how we do what we do and why we do what we do. Yeah. <laughs>